what I think people are saying is that verse means something for me. That verse could mean something different for you, which to which I would say, what if they conflict though? Welcome to Switching Lenses, a podcast that attempts to break down cultural assumptions and then view those from a more biblical lens. I'm Josh Phillips, joined always by Mr. Shane Skirvin. Shane, it is late tonight. Well, it's late for me. You're in the two-hour time difference, but why do we keep doing this? <laughs> I mean, it's 11 o'clock my time. Why do we do this so, so late? You know, we, uh, I, know I was telling you about uh, we belong to a Facebook group. And they were saying how some, they're referencing some really good podcasts and they were saying how, oh, they do such a good job. And, you know, so many Christian podcasts sound like they're tired. I'm like, they're totally talking about us. We're <laughs> always recording so late at night. But uh, Shane, so how, but how are you doing, Shane? How, how's it going? Are you staying I'm awake over there? Yeah, yeah, doing good. We're still awake up here in Oregon. Yeah, it's not too bad over there. It's only, it's only what, nine o'clock over there. Yeah, so. nine o'clock, yeah. On a Friday. But kind of you're... Your nine o'clock is kind of my eleven o'clock though, so actually in a way it's kind of it's kind of even, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah, unless I get you coffee, then I can get you <laughs> really really get you going. And it's that's the antidote. Yeah, you can dial that clock back multiple hours, and Shane's feeling good. So okay, um, you can always reach us on email at switchinglenses at gmail dot com, and of course you can always find us on Facebook as well. All right, Shane. We got a doozy of one today, don't we? Yes. It's gonna a little bit, little slightly different in terms of the topic. Um, we're deciding to take on some of the views expressed by Mr. Pete Budicic. I'm not sure if I said his name correctly. I'm gonna do my best there. We'll both do our best there yeah. with the last Boot name edge. there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were looking up pronunciations, and so Boot Edge Edge was what somebody said. Budicic. That's I'm gonna say it. That looks right. Sounds right. But um, yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll just go with that there. But we're gonna take. He's been. He's been making a lot of uh, a lot of statements lately. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the Democratic nominees for the Democratic nomination for president, and he's been making a lot of statements that we would like to bring up on here because we've kind of raised our eyebrows to say the least. I think at some of these statements, but we thought we'd kind of give a disclaimer first. So before we go any further with this, right, Shane? Yeah. Is for a couple of things. We're, we have no interest in this in trying to go make any kind of personal attack towards Mr. Bujic. We're not trying to defame him or any way or anything like that, uh, nor are we trying to sway anybody politically. We're not trying to change anybody's mind on politics. Uh, uh, that's not something we want to do on here, right? We're, we're after worldview. That's what we're, we're going after. And, uh, you know... Yeah. I think whenever I think whenever politicians they start giving some of their views, they start giving their political views on different on a variety of subjects. Usually, at the root of that, though, not usually at the root of that is a worldview, and that's kind of where we want to go. With. That's kind of our entrance point. Entrance point in this little discussion here. That's where we want to talk about the worldview. We really want to kind of stay away from the politics of things and so, what I would consider a lot of the surface level type type subjects and things like that. Right. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're discussing about the uh, theological arguments that he's bringing up and he's just, he's given prominence because of the political process that he's in, but we're not actually addressing the political. We're talking about the platform. Uh, he's using politics as a platform to discuss 
worldview and theological concepts. So that's what we're discussing. Right. And we kind of, we have kind of a general idea here that we think that some of the things that he's saying are a bit misleading and a sort of sleight of hand, if you will, with some of the ways, uh, some of the things that he's saying. So we kind of want to address some of these. We've got three quotes that we found. Um, Honestly, these were some of the, I would say, I, I got a selection of about five or six quotes. And these are just three of the ones that I thought were the biggest talking points. Uh, this is some of the first five or six that I found. I was just trying to find some of these. I've heard him say many things, but I couldn't remember every last one of them. But I was like, let me go look up. I'm going to look up these quotes. And we'll go ahead and address these very quotes here. And uh, so we're not trying to cherry pick anything right here. These were, were just some of the more popular ones that I'd seen. And I thought those would be kind of the fair ones to to address, right? That that sound good? Yeah, these are prominent uh, things he said in, um, you know, in speeches, and he was he was speaking publicly. Right, right, right. So what we want to do here, there's there's sort of a general consensus, I think, um, with all these all these diff- these quotes that he has that we're, that we're going to bring up, and what he's doing. In case you're not familiar with some of the things that he said or in some of the claims that he makes, is that he's sort of going after Christianity. He's he's going, well, really, he's going after conservatives or Republicans, depending on how you want to put that. And he sort of holds the assumption that there are a lot of Republicans and conservatives who hold Christian views. And what he really tries to do, I think, and Shane, you kind of you know, give me your take on this, is that he really seems to try to um, point back to their Christian views and say, hey, this political view that you hold, you're actually violating these Christian views that you so-called, that you apparently hold, that you say you hold. And he's really calling out essentially hypocrisy, right? Oh, that's exactly what he's, he's directly saying that in a couple of these quotes. <laughs> exactly. That's word for word what he's saying. And so I, I, what we kind of want to go after generally here is we kind of feel like he's sort of um, kind of kind of trapping people. And he's using this kind of rhetoric about people's beliefs, a lot of assumptions that he's, he's bringing into this. And he's sort of weaponizing Bible verses to sort of support his agenda. He's sort of, as what we, what we would say, as we we're kind of talking in the, the, little, the pre-show here, was that he kind of sort of has his ideas and his views, and he sort of looks to the Bible and say, okay, how can I use the Bible to support what I think? And that's kind of what we want to go after. And that's what we kind of, I guess a better way of saying it is that's what we want to address. We're going to want to bring to the surface. Does that seem, that sound about right to you? Yeah. Does that seem yeah, fair? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, that's, that's kind of our goal here. We're not, again, we're not trying to, to slander the guy or speak ill of him. We're just going to take the things that he's saying and really examine, is there, is there truth behind what he's saying? I think that's, that's, I think we can boil it down to that. That's pretty, I think it's a pretty good way of putting it. Don't you think? Yeah. That's not even in the notes. I just that one just kind of came to me. So, <laughs> all right. So we got. I think we have we have three quotes here. We're gonna kind of see how we're doing on time. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, I say it every episode. I say, oh, we're gonna keep it under time. We're gonna keep it around thirty minutes, and we never do. So, uh, we'll try to get to these three quotes. But I've got three ready here, so we'll kind of get to whatever we can get to in the lot of time that we'd like to spend on this. So let's go here for the first quote that we have. And the quote says. I'll just read just the part he says, because I actually got this out of an article. So I'll, I'll kind of leave out what the article wrote here. But I'll just, just focus on his quote, because that's all we want to do. We just want to focus on what he's saying. We're going to try really hard not to read too far into the quote. So he says in this quote, this first quote that we have, uh, says, that's the thing that I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand. That if you have a problem with who I am, 
Your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. Now, this, of course, was a speech he gave back in April at the LGBTQ Victory Fund. And I don't think it's out of bounds to say this. He's clearly referencing his sexual orientation, right? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's where the dig at Mike Pence, because that's what he's known as. That's where he's often, um, Pence is always attacked on his views on the LGBTQ community. So he's saying that if you have a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. Shane, I'm going to you start us off here. What would you like to, to begin on this? Like, I mean, we, I think we both have several things to bring up with this, but I'll let you, I'll let you go and start it off here. Once you say we're, uh, what's, what's he saying here? What, what's, where's he, what's he assuming? You know, the, the assumption, and I think you have brought it up um, at other times and other places, but the assumption is that every uh, feeling, desire, behavior, whatever uh, thing inside him that he wanted to identify with, he's saying it's okay. So, you know, any inborn um, desire or, or concept or thought process, um, he's saying that that's the way he's created. That's a huge assumption. That's like yeah. saying, you know, every law is based on what you ought to do. That's the definition of morality. That's why they pass these uh, laws. Um, that's what all morality is based on, is choices on who you choose to be. And he is saying, um, I mean, he's kind of wiping all that all away in one hand, saying that whatever he is feeling or thinking, um, that's the way he's created. When mm-hmm. that's, that's really the definition of every law is that there is a correct way to do, behave and think and do, and there's one that's incorrect. So on, on one hand, he's, he's creating this, un, un, you know, this unbelievable uh, thick smoke screen that brings kind of, muddies kind of every water that you, you could about, about life. You know, it, it, he's just saying whatever is going through your, your mind or whatever, you know, he, it, to me, he's kind of doing, he, even the point he's trying to make, he's doing a disservice by saying that, because that, that brings not any clarity at all. I mean, couldn't any, uh, someone that believes practicing slavery, that that would bring them joy? You know, I mean, how, who's to say what's right and wrong? You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's kind of muddying every kind of morale, every spring that morality comes from in this statement. I, I don't think this helps him saying that. No, not at all. It's, it's really a slippery road when you say, I, I feel this way, or when I do this, it brings some kind of validation or positive emotion in me and just just say well that that must be right that was the way i was created why else would i feel these feelings other than that's the way i was made and that's a slippery slope to go down that's epstein uh, the guy that just uh, hung himself right Mm -hmm. and didn't he get great joy from from sleeping with with underage women uh, and girls. I mean, how? And, and got, that, I was. I was saying he got say pleasure. He's created. I'd, yeah, I'd use. I'd, I'd use the word pleasure. I'd, I'd probably not to be. Pick use on the word what? Pleasure. Okay. I think he got as opposed to joy. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, pleasure. Yeah, that's a better word. Yes, but that would be his. Um, I mean, he embraced it. He talked openly about mm-hmm. what. Yeah. You know, and and we have decided as a society that that was immoral behavior that there should be, because that's, did you see the guy that got uh, fired, the professor from MIT? No, I didn't see that. He said, he made the case in defending Epstein, saying, hey, these uh, so-called victims were all willing. There was no force involved. Well, then he lost his job at MIT for saying that. 
You know, hmm. so it, it, we're talking, it's a pretty uh, thorny issue when we're discussing, we have, as a society, made a determination that there's an age of consent, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, Epstein is saying, I mean, he had that island in international waters where what he was doing was not illegal, uh-huh. according to society's standards. And right. so I, I, I'm just saying that that's, to me, that's not a very good argument for him to say, this is how I'm made. I mean, that, that to me is kind of a, a, to me, like you said, a slippery slope. It's a lazy argument. You know, we have, uh, er, er, for him to say that that is the, the mountain that he's going to stand on to make his case, I, I just think, like you said, you can slip right off that. Yeah, and I, what I'm curious about is I'm really wondering, like, how, how does he work the fallen nature of man into his feelings and into who he is? Especially for somebody who professes to be a Christian, when the Bible is just, it's all throughout the Bible. Talk about the fallen nature of man. It's just story after story after story after story after someone, especially in the Old Testament, the narratives in the Old Testament of people falling and making mistakes. And, you know, like it's really, as a Christian, it's undeniable that we have a fallen nature. After, I mean, after all, being, that's what makes you a Christian is that you, you say, I am fallen. I have problems. There's, I, I need fix and I can't fix it. There's only one. Jesus, you're the only one that can fix this. And so that fallen nature, I'm just I'm just so curious. Like how does that where does that play into how you feel and how you how you self-identify? Like how, how do those two work together? Because they seem to be in conflict a bit. Well, G. K. Chesterton said the doctrine of original sin or the fallen nature of man, he said is the most easily proven theological concept in the Bible. You know, all of history. Yeah testifies to the fallen nature of man. I believe the word that is used, there's actually even a parallel word describing this theological concept, and it's called the, the human condition. I mean, this is, that's, that is the secular equivalent of this theological position. And so to me, um, when you look through, I mean, this is why every society that's ever existed had to have laws and then people who did law enforcement, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, even as a society, we know we cannot function without not only setting up rules and guidelines for behavior, but people that enforce it, determine it, and punish when people don't follow those guidelines, right? Right. You know, so it, it, in one hand, he is uh, kind of wiping all that away by saying, whatever you feel you need to do, and if you have a problem with that, talk to your creator, right? Or my creator. Yeah, it's... It's an interesting claim I don't, that I don't fully understand. I know a lot of times, not to get too deep into this, I, I know we want to have a future podcast getting really more into these issues, these um, sexuality issues and, and like the LGBT community and things of that nature. I, I, we'd like to dedicate a whole podcast and really, you know, kind of explain ourselves, but not, not to get too deep into that. But I know there's always the topic of, you know, like I was, I was born this way. Um, I can't help but feel this way. I mean, that's kind of what he's hinting at. Like, this is this is who I. This is how he self-identifies. This is how who I am, right? That's what he said. That's the claim. Is this is who I am? A lot of people, I said, like I said, would go further with that and say, or or, or explain it further and say, I was born this way. Sort of, I can't help it. But uh, you know, my pastor brings up a really interesting point. You know, it's like to say that you're born this way. He says, well, Jesus calls us to be born again. So. You know, if, even if you are born that way, that's, I mean, we're, we're all born lots of ways. We're all born with a sinful nature. Jesus calls us to die to that, to die to our sinful nature and uh, be born again. And so 
one of the foundationally foundational concepts of the New Testament is you must be born again, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a verse here from 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19 through 20, where it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And it says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And then it says, of course, it goes on to say, So glorify God in your body. So essentially it said that you're not your own. So that these questions of self-identity and things like that, the Bible speaks really contradictory to those kinds of ideas. Well, uh, that's a great point, Josh. Good point. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so, so that's our first quote there. I think we've, I think we got, we didn't want to get too deep into that. Like I said, we have a future podcast we're going to do to go further with that. We just really wanted to kind of address the quote that he said and just and keep it just to the quote itself. So let's go to our second one. Shane, we're making good time here. This is good. This is good. Uh, I think we can make it through all three of these, it looks like. So the second quote is, he says, quote, the minimum wage is just too low. And so-called conservative Christian senators right now in the Senate are blocking a bill to raise the minimum wage when Scripture says that whoever oppresses the poor taunts their maker. Shane, I'll let you go first on this one. I'll let you. This is, this was, this to me was just such a loaded quote. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you that, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, there's a massive assumption that the huge assumption wage, yeah, is is if you oppose raising the minimum wage, you're oppressing the poor. You know, it uh that, that that's pretty that's like a freight train. That's a that's a massive assumption. Um, you know, I I think it, this is a complicated issue. And, yes, it is. And, uh, and I think to be fair, we can say we can have it, we would be, hey, let's have a, a, a complex, let's look at the, the uh, there's so many different angles, there's so much complexity. When he brings in the uh, these massive statements about how um, you're a horrible oppressor of the poor if you disagree with them, I mean, we would say, once again, he is, he is actually doing the argument and the discussion a huge disservice because there, there's a good point that can be made that, you know, like, Walmart gives, you know, has, for sake of argument, has, you know, maybe 30,000 jobs that are, uh, you know, right above minimum wage. And I've heard two people discuss this, two economists, and one was saying, hey, these are a bunch of low-wage jobs they've created. Because he was like, hey, the one was saying, hey, look at Walmart created all these jobs. And the other guy's saying, hey, these are low-wage jobs. And the other guy said, exactly. All these people that wouldn't necessarily get a job or, or have skills to get another job, they suddenly have a job. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty good argument. I hear both these guys, you know, one guy saying, hey, these jobs need to be better. This other guy saying, hey, they provide a valuable service. That's, that's two reasoned arguments that I'm sure you can work out a framework of how to address this. But then when you just come in and say, hey, if you would disagree with me, you're a terrible oppressor of poor people. I, you know, I, I think all you do is disrupt the, the conversation, right? We need yeah. to have a national conversation on what's the best way to bring economic well-being and flourishing to our communities, right? I mean, yeah. just to say anyone disagrees with me is a horrible oppressor. I, I, you know, I, there, this argument is very, you cannot walk into this argument and just say, hey, everyone that disagrees with me is a terrible person. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's a very complicated issue, and you can't have a my way or the highway approach to this. I think you would agree with me that, you know, I think we we should all, especially Christians, 
should be should be sensitive to people who are in poverty. Um, we're, we're called throughout all throughout Scripture to reach the poor, to reach the widow. I mean, that's just that's abundant all through Scripture there. So <clears throat> we have to be, I think, as Christians, and I, I mean, it's a, it's a call to humanity, but but I'll say Christians that we do need to keep that in mind. That it, it's it's real easy, I think, especially with Christians who who would identify as conservatives or, or Republicans. To sort of have an attitude that's kind of like, well, I sort of, I earned the job that I have. I, I work really hard for the money that I have. And so why should somebody else get my money that I worked for, for not doing anything? It's sort of kind of this pride, essentially, kind of can work its way yes. through, I think. Yes. And that, that okay. And again, just to kind of, because we identify as conservatives, conservative Christians, I, th- I think that can be really damaging. I think that's a hole people have to watch out for. You can't fall into that trap, and that's that's a that's a nasty hole to get into. Well, we can't believe in evolution. You know, we can't say we don't believe in evolution and then turn around and believe in social evolution, the survival of the fittest. If yeah, if you don't have the skills to make it in the market, that's just too bad. You know, you're yeah. not going to flourish. I mean, that we you know we are the people that believe that that everyone has uh, is made in the image of God and has equal worth as human beings, and that. All of us have to work towards a just society that works for everyone, right? I mean, right. that's one of the core tenets of Christianity. And yeah. so I, I completely agree with you. There's a danger of pride, and there's a danger of self-reliance in those things without looking at uh, a holistic approach. The better, uh, the less off in your society are, the better the society as a whole. I mean, it's a short-sighted view mm-hmm. to be like, well, just me and my crew are going to do well. Because you're in a community. We're called right. to live in a community. We care about the entire community. Bible constantly tells people to bless your city, right? Mm-hmm. Seek the welfare of your city. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, throughout Scripture, we're, we're, we're supposed to be compassionate towards people. And it's, I, man, I think when you start really viewing yourself highly, and especially as it relates to people who are less off or less fortunate than you or in poverty or whatnot, that, that man, that's, 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 that's just a bad place to be in. And it really opens the door to so many negative things and self-destruction and, and stuff like that. So we, I, I just wanted to point that out really quick, just because we try to be as fair on this as possible. We're not trying to give a biased approach or anything like that, that we can say, look at the, 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 we, us being social, I mean, as being conservative Christians, that there are, we can recognize that there are other people like us as conservative Christians that also would go into a trap with this and, and, and really, and really, really go against the Bible. Not so much what he's saying, but really take this the wrong direction and really have a lack of compassion for those who are living in poverty. So I think it's important to have that in mind. However, the way Mr. Budicic puts this, he sort of sets up, not sort of, he does set up a false dilemma. It's like, like you said, it's, it's, support my view of how this is going to get solved or else you don't care at all. And that's just completely unfair position. You know, and Shane, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, this kind of discussion I like to have with people is, and it's a, again, it's a complex. I'm not saying that I have the answer to this or it's an easy answer. And it's because it's not an easy answer no. by any stretch. But I think there's a, a general assumption that runs through America. Um, I don't want to say it's through a certain type of people group. I'll just say it's just a general assumption because I don't want to put it in those terms. But the idea that uh, if, if somebody is struggling, if somebody, if, if there's, in, okay, let me put it this way, if there's injustice in any way, whether it's social, economic, or whatever, that it's the government's job every time to fix that. 
And so that's kind of the assumption here, I think, is that while people are in poverty, the only solution to this is that the government would step in and solve this and, and provide a higher wage or else nothing can be done. And I just, I don't know. I, I just don't think that's, I, I, it's, like I said, it's complex. It's complex. I don't want to be com- have a lack of compassion and say, uh, sorry, the government should never, ever do anything ever for anybody. I don't want to go that far with it. But I also don't want to go as far and say that it's the government's responsibility solely to make sure that no poverty exists or anything that's, in this case. That's the easy way out. That's the easy way to say it's the government's fault. Because you know what? When you say it's the government's fault, you're saying, I can't do anything about it. You're saying it's bigger than me. I can't help. You know, I think one thing we can all agree on, it's everyone's problem. All mm-hmm. of us need mm-hmm. to be involved. The private sector, the public sector, we all need to be engaged and find the solution. The solution to poverty is cultural, it's theological, it's government, it's all of the above. And I mean, Shane, when you, bring, when you agree that the, I think the church really should be leading the charge... Uh, absolutely, but I, I definitely think that... I'm not saying they're solely responsible, but I'm saying like they should be the front runners. Yes. Saying, yeah. And then whoever yeah. else wants to come, on, come along, well, hey, I, come and on. I think it's, gonna be, I think it's uh, everyone gets on board. I think just say yeah. it's just the government should solve it. I think that's the lazy answer. I think yeah. the reality is it's the way you run your business. It's the way you run your family. It's the way uh, culture, your community, the local community. I think everyone should be on board. The idea that poverty should just be handled by the federal government is I, is, I think, a very lazy answer. And I think, frankly, it doesn't work. I think um, when you're in a community, it takes uh, everyone. We're saying it's going to be that poverty needs to be, everyone needs to be on board, which means at the very forefront of the war on poverty, it has to be your local community. It has to be, like you said, local church. It has to be the food bank, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. has to be the community college teaching skills. Yeah. You know, we, we would say we're looking for a holistic, comprehensive, community-based uh, way to have the community flourish. You yeah. know, a- everyone needs to be a part of it. I-, I think this idea that you throw your hands up and say the federal government can, can address poverty, I think, I think it's too small, right? Yeah. The federal government can't, can't address we, – th- well, how many people in America? 340 million? Um, sure. It's, it's going to take, it's, it's gonna take um, everyone together – uh, to move forward, right? Yeah, I've always had the idea. I mean, I, I think this would be great. It'd be so hard to put together, but I would just love it. And I, I, a lot of churches are doing this, but uh, if if churches could just unite and say, "Hey, look, just like almost like an adopt a neighborhood kind of thing, or adopt a couple neighborhoods near your near your church, and just say, look, we're going to reach out to this community uh, by neighborhoods. I mean, like poverty poverty stricken neighborhoods, things like that. Like, hey, we're going to adopt this community." of people and we're going to, we're going to do outreach to these people. We're going to set up, um, like food, food stands. Hey everybody, let's, let's, let's get some meals put together or make sandwiches or well, I don't know, whatever it is. Let's try to feed them. Let's, if we, yeah, I have idea you said too, like some kind of, if there's any kind of training that could be evolved. Um, I would love that idea. If churches could all adopt a community and really reach out and really try to help that the, that the, that the, that the, that the people attending the church could give, take offerings every once in a while say, Hey, let's just try to, Let's help. Let's help some of these people out. Let's try to find some of the needs in the community because there's a lot of them, and let's try to do do what we can and use the best discernment we can to try to reach out and help these people. Well, and this 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 has been the story of Christianity. One of the major faults that was always brought up against Christians is that we raised up the weak that would uh, normally be done off with with social evolution. One of Nietzsche's criticism of Christianity it was the herd instinct. 
that we circled the wagons around the uh, weak and the and the and the people that were less fortunate that would normally be killed off in some sort of evolutionary framework, but that we protected the weak, that we the strong served the weak, that we carried the burdens of others that were less fortunate. Uh, the our concept of Sunday school was young orphans. The only day they didn't work, uh, the 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 uh, the poor kids in England. The only day they didn't work was Sunday, and uh, a man noticed. I think his name was Mueller. Noticed that these kids they they didn't know how to read or write. The only day the only day ha- they had off was Sunday because it was Judeo Christian culture that they honored Sunday. And he said, "Hey, we need to start teaching these kids how to read and write at church. Let's use this, you know, while they have their day off. Let's use uh, let's create another service or setting." aside from the actual church service, and we're going to teach them to read and write. And so this has always been our legacy, that we help the less, uh, the less fortunate, the less well-off. And so, you know, I, I just think he's bringing, you know, rather than bringing a surgeon's scalpel to try to heal the situation, he's bringing a sledgehammer and saying, if you don't agree with me, yeah. you're, you're a, 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 like you said, he's weaponizing these scriptures, right? If you, yeah. don't, uh, if you don't agree with me, you're oppressing the poor, which everyone would say, this this is a complicated issue. Obviously, you can raise limb and wage until it's 100 bucks an hour, right? All you yeah. cause is massive inflation. Yeah. I mean, the answer isn't going to be a simple number, right? I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, you're not going to fix it by mandating a number. You're, you're going to fix it by uh, everyone pulling together and and helping each other out and creating a climate where there's a holistic view towards those who are, are less well off. I mean, I've, I've heard, a, I've been in a discussion with a man who said, hey, I'm, I am not necessarily, um, you know, driven to try to help the less fortunate, but I understand if I don't help the less fortunate in my society, my society is going to be lessened. My cult, my community is going to have more problems if I don't try to help out and find solutions within my community, right? Mm, yeah. More people turning to crime if there's not more opportunity. So it's a Judeo-Christian idea, man. Just run, I mean, they're running through all throughout the Bible that that we need each other. <laughs> we need to reach out to each other. That complete individuals uh, build a society that collapses and self-destructs on itself. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about this idea. But um, well, let's go. Let's go ahead and move on here. Uh, let's go to our last quote here. And the quote says this, quote, there's a lot, excuse me, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that talk about how life begins with breath. And so even that is, even that is something that we can interpret differently. Most Americans can get on the board with the idea of, all right, I might draw the line here, you might draw the line there, but the most important thing is the person who should be drawing the line is a woman making that decision. Now, I chose this quote because I've heard him say something multiple times. And it's really just a small part of the quote, really. That's, that's where I'll start it off with, if you don't mind. And I've heard him say this before. And it's the line where he says that we, might inter- we can interpret differently. And it's this idea of interpreting Scripture differently. And this is, oh, this, this, this one really, this, this irritates me. It's, like, it's, a, it's a pet peeve, I guess. I'll try to put it nicely. Now, because I've, I've talked with people before and, you know, you bring up something, you bring up something scripturally and they say, well, that's your interpretation of it. And I'm like, OK, I'm like, hold on, let's back the, back the truck up a second. Are you saying that scripture, all of scripture is relative to each person, that there's no such thing as an objective truth that runs throughout scripture that just kind of depends on the person, on what it means? 
that it has this relative value. Now, and I'd like to point out, uh, point out something. Okay, there is a difference between interpretation and translation. And I think sometimes people get those two things mixed up. Yes, I realize that the English Bible that I read today is a translation of another language. And I realize that it is difficult sometimes to put, uh, to translate something that was said in one language to put into another. I understand there's some difficulty with that. But I think with proper study and utilizing the right materials, you can get, you can find out what the original authors were saying. You know, it's not as simple as just reading word for word of your Bible. I think it takes a little bit of study and a little bit of work, but you can find that. We have the original Greek. We have the Hebrew. We can find out the original meaning. That's not subjective. We can figure that out. Now, if you want to, that's, again, that's a matter of translation. What I think people are saying is that verse means something for me. That verse could mean something different for you, which to which I would say, what if they conflict though? And if there's a conflict, you, then no longer can you say it depends on your interpretation, because now we're talking about relativity again instead of objectivity. That was kind of my issue with a quote and some of the other quotes that he said, because that creates a massive problem. Why are you even appealing to the Bible if, it's, if you're saying that's relative? Okay, yeah. Shane, I'm, I've said uh, well, my piece. Yeah. <laughs> I, let, yeah, I got it all out. I'm good now. Well, and, and that's and why would there ever be uh, a legal code, a constitution, any of those things? Um, it's supposed to be written so that it is stable. And he's saying then you could turn around and take anything that's written and based on your interpretation, make it unstable, right? Make it fluid mm-hmm. again. You know, so it's, it's a self-defeating uh, concept because he is appealing to something that is... Uh, stable and at the heart of our society, the Judeo-Christian uh, revelation that so much of our framework and our worldview is based on. Everyone knows that. Everyone agrees to that. Um, the only argument is how much influence it should have, not that it has influenced our society. So it, it's pretty crazy to take that. He's appealing to it because the place it has, but then he's turning around and saying um, that he can move it around. You know, yeah. it's all, the only reason this this is timeless and it has such great influence is because it's stable. It's written. It's a structure. But then he was saying, hey, there's a lot of play in the structure, which ironically, ironically, it it tailors exactly what his his positions are. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that it, that doesn't seem to be a coincidence, does it, Josh? <laughs> that, 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 his, that, that that amazingly, the interpretation that he finds, which is not the historical interpretation, it's not the... Uh, the translation or, or interpretation that you would have that, that most scholars agree on, uh, Greek or Hebrew scholars, but then it happens to be the one that just so cl- you know clearly aligns that there's not any space between, there's no daylight between this magic uh, interpretation that he has found and his political positions. I mean, to me, it, it it's one of those things that, uh, I don't know, it looks like there's a, a little bit of... Uh, I don't know, a little sleight of hand, as you say. Yeah, well, and if, if we want to get down to what he's really saying here, I mean, I, I just I just want to first address the whole interpretation side. It, it could be your interpretation and my interpretation, however you see fit. But he, uh, I want to kind of start there, but then he brings it up to this idea of life begins with breath. Now, again, this is another one of those, uh, the issue of abortion and whatnot. But this is something we would like to address in a further episode. We can have a full episode 
to really dig into this idea, which I would love to do and really talk that out. But um, he, it's an interesting idea that he would say that life begins with breath and appeal to the Bible to support that idea. When there's countless verses, and I've got, I've just got one right here in front of me that completely shoots that, that idea down. It says from Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So before you were in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. So existence was there before breath. And God knew our, us at our core existence, our, um, what we boil down to at our, our, in our, at our core being. He, he knew us, therefore we existed. And so without, again, this all takes place before breath. Well, and Jesus, Jesus said it takes place after breath. When he was discussing with a group of uh, religious scholars that were saying they didn't believe in the afterlife, he, he pointed out that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said that these men lived beyond the grave because of the relationship they had with God. He cited that scripture um, as evidence of the theological concept that there's life after uh, the grave, after breath, right? So right. the Bible talks clearly about life being beyond or transcending breath, right? Right, being, yeah. Uh, being after your breathing and before your breathing. And so for Buttigieg to turn around and say that breath is life, that's actually a materialistic view, that, that your breathing, your flesh and blood is uh, the only form of life there is. I mean, that's one of the, you know... Uh, that's that. I mean, everyone knows flesh and blood has to breathe to be alive. I mean, that's clearly a spiritual concept to say that no, there's life before, and there's life beyond uh, breath, beyond flesh and blood. So it is. It is kind of weird that he would would bring such a materialistic view and then try to in, try to enshroud that view in or cloak that view in theological language. Well, very nice, Shannon. A little golf clap there for you. That, that was that's good. Yeah, <laughs> good way to sum it up. Yeah, life does. I mean, life exists after breath. Like you said, he really is. He really is kind of putting up some materialistic view. That's interesting. Yeah, great point. Great point. I Thanks. think uh, that's a good stopping point right there. I think uh, we did well on time here. We looks like we'll be right around forty minutes. Not too bad here, Shane. We did it. We did it. We didn't go too long. We got our three points in. We had a couple quotes left, but I think those were the main ones we wanted to address. So kind of to sum up, sort of, we just kind of, I think there was a consistency there between all the quotes that there's sort of, he sets up a false dilemma in saying that think my, there's only two options. You think my way or you are this, I don't want to say horrible person, but you know, you don't, you don't care about this cause. You don't care about these types of people unless you support my view. And uh, that's, it's just such a, a bunch of air filled statements. It just, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. And so, well, I think we, I think we brought some, we shed some light on these, on these quotes and sort of dissected these here, Shane. And uh, thank you for joining me as always. I appreciate it. Always enjoy your insights. And well, thank you, Josh. I enjoy uh, discussing these things. Yeah, you know, we usually get a history, history reference from you. I didn't, I didn't get that one today. <laughs> so I feel like maybe it wasn't a complete podcast, but that's okay. Unless I forgot something. Maybe you did. Maybe you did. I don't there's usually a World War II reference somewhere in there, or ancient Jewish culture, but that's all right. That's all right. Kept well, pretty contemporary today. Yeah, there we go. So we got to switch it up every once in a while, right? 
So, well, everybody, you can always, again, you can always reach us uh, via email. You can reach us at switchinglensespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook as well. Contact the show. Let Give us your thoughts, even if they disagree with us. We welcome disagreement. We, uh, in a weird way, we kind of enjoy it, actually, and would love to bring it up. So um, thank you for listening with us, and thank you for joining us, Shane. I will see you next time, and we will get call it a wrap. Mm-hmm.